Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Jordan Rubin. We're recording this episode on Friday, June 26th. We got two opinions this week involving securities litigation and immigration. We'll break those down for you and talk about how the end of the term is shaping up and whether the justices will break new ground for the Roberts Court by not wrapping up until July. And later in the episode, we're going to bring back our judiciary reporter, Madison Alder, to give us an update on a couple of President Trump's judicial appointment milestones. But first, we'll talk about the cases. Jordan, tell us what happened in the securities case that we got on Monday. Lou versus SEC. The case involves something called disgorgement, and that's a powerful tool that the SEC has used in civil enforcement proceedings to go after financial wrongdoers. So a few years back, in a case called Kokesh, the Supreme Court said that a disgorgement order in an SEC enforcement action counts as a penalty for statute of limitations purposes. But the question here in this case, Lou, was whether disgorgement can qualify as what's called equitable relief even though that type of relief has historically barred punitive sanctions. So given that the justices had previously cut back on the SEC's disgorgement efforts in the Kokesh case, the agency was worried about losing the ability to use this powerful tool at all, which it's used in the past to win billions of dollars in court from wrongdoers. And it seemed like we got kind of a mixed decision. Uh, What ended up happening with disgorgement? That's right. So disgorgement is still alive, but the justices did cut back on how powerful it is going forward. In an 8-1 ruling by Justice Sotomayor, the court said that a disgorgement award is permissible so long as it doesn't exceed a wrongdoer's net profits and is awarded for victims. Justice Thomas dissented. He said disgorgement should never be allowed under the law at issue here because it's not a traditional equitable remedy. So Thomas was in the majority in Thursday's case, DHS versus Thurasingham, a case with big consequences for immigration claims, where the court said that the federal immigration law at issue doesn't violate the Constitution's suspension clause. It was a win for the Trump administration on the subject of immigration, which, as we've noted before, is an issue that's sort of a theme at the court this term. Okay, so what happened in this case here, Kimberly? Well, at issue was the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act, a 1996 law that provides for the expedited removal of certain, quote, applicants seeking admission to the United States, whether at a designated port of entry or elsewhere. Now, applicants can avoid expedited removal by getting asylum if they can show a credible fear of persecution. Uh, If an asylum officer rejects the credible fear claim, it's reviewed by a supervisor and then potentially by an administrative immigration judge. But the law limits applicants from seeking federal habeas court review uh, in federal courts for their credible fear claims. And the question here is whether that restriction violates the Constitution's suspension clause or due process clause. And what did the court say? It doesn't. So Justice Alito wrote the majority for uh, the court he said that habeas provides for a release from custody, but that the applicant here wanted asylum, not release. So Alito characterized that claim as seeking something broader than what habeas has traditionally provided. And so in terms of the vote breakdown here, seeing this called a 5-4 case, a 5-2-2 case, a 7-2 case, what are we calling this case? complicated. Um, I think, uh, you know, initially I put it down as a seven to two. Um, The rest of the Republican appointees joined Alito's decision in full, so that's five. And then Justices Breyer and Ginsburg joined the result, which makes seven. But Breyer and Ginsburg only agreed with the decision as it applies in this specific case. 
Breyer, writing for the pair, said that there was no need to reach the sweeping ruling that the court reached here. And what about the dissenters here, the ones who disagreed completely? Well, Sotomayor wrote a pretty sharp dissent joined by Kagan. She said Alito's ruling, quote, flouts over a century of the court's practice, where in case after case, the court has heard claims indistinguishable from those raised here, which fall within the heartland of habeas jurisdiction going directly to the origins of the Great Writ. Wow. Yeah. So she said the court's ruling rejected due process protections for non-citizens and upended settled constitutional law and, quote, paves the way towards transforming already summary expedited removal proceedings into arbitrary administrative adjudications. So, Kimberly, you've been tracking these immigration cases that have been at the court this term. As you said, it's sort of a, a theme. How does all of this tie into what's been happening with immigration at the court this term? You just had a story on that that came out today. That's right. So the Supreme Court typically hears between one to five immigration cases a term. This term, it took nine. It ended up only hearing eight of those. Um, one was pushed off until next term. Seems like the court is kind of catching up with the Trump administration's priority um, on immigration and immigration enforcement. Uh, the Trump administration did okay this term. They won five and lost three. But of course, one of the three that they lost was the DACA case. So right. kind of a mixed bag for the administration, really. It is notable that in each of the eight cases, the only justice to be in the majority all the time was Chief Justice Roberts, making a mark, uh, making a play for his uh, swing justice status. Let's switch gears just a little bit and bring on our colleague Madison Alder to give an update on the Trump judiciary. Of course, the president appointed Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, but there's been a lot more going on than that in the lower courts that actually do the majority of the work in the federal system. Yeah, so Trump has hit a milestone recently. Uh, he filled 200, uh, or he has had 200 confirmations in the federal judiciary, and he also filled all of the available judgeships at the appellate level. Um, so that's something conservatives have been celebrating uh, over these past few days. The, the confirmation was of Corey Wilson, uh, nominee to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. So his nomination easily cleared the Senate um, on, on the party line. You know, that means that this year could look a little bit different for judicial nominations for, this, for the administration than it has in the past. Uh, they've focused a lot on the appeals courts. And now they, they're looking to the district courts. There's a lot of vacancies there to fill, a lot of them in blue states. So that's kind of setting the tone for what this next year is going to look like and leading toward the election. So you mentioned that the Trump administration had hit a milestone uh, with 200 judges. They also hit another milestone of sorts, although this one is not to be celebrated. Right, Maddie? Right. Uh, that other milestone was not confirming a black appellate court judge. Uh, to to any court of appeals in in this would make Trump the first president since Nixon to not do that. Um, that is the, obviously uh, another milestone that is is not favorable. Um, and you know Trump's confirmations have not been extremely diverse. Um, you know there has been, for example, only one Hispanic judge appointed to uh, a federal appellate court seat, um, but. Uh, Trump has actually done better than his two predecessors when it comes to appointing Asian Americans to the appellate courts. That's where most of his diversity has come from. So we have seen, uh, you know, him, he's actually appointed 
the majority of the Asian American appellate court judges now sitting. Hmm. We we find that that is actually what the legal field really looks like too, right? Well, some of our colleagues did a, a story on the diversity in the legal field and found that that was pretty much um, similar numbers. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, you know, could be reflective. I had one source mentioned that, you know, Trump has appointed a lot of conservatives and conservatives do tend to be white uh, in large part. So a lot of Trump's uh, nominees have, have also been white. All right. Well, Maddie, thanks for uh, giving us that update. We appreciate it. Thanks. So we're heading into the last week of June with 13 argued cases still undecided. Uh, this is typically when the court would wrap up its term. But of course, we've had those arguments in May that could uh, set the court back a little bit. So we had a story this week noting that the last time a decision in an argued case came out in July was all the way back in 1996. Do we think that the Roberts Court is going to hit that mark for the first time this coming week? Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, we know we're getting opinions on Monday and Tuesday. July starts Wednesday, so unless they're going to decide 13 cases over the course of two days, I think July is a pretty safe bet. Hopefully for our sake. It would be tough to report on six or seven opinions a day. But if they keep going at this rate, uh, just handing down one opinion a day, we'll be lucky if we actually finish in July, right? Right. And then uh, one last thing that we got late last night was from the Trump administration uh, in a case that we're watching for next term. Jordan? Uh, that's right. We got uh, briefs in the Obamacare case. That's the third big challenge against the signature Obama domestic achievement. And that's going to be in a case argued probably sometime in the fall. We don't know exactly when yet, but it's going to come up right around the time of the presidential election. And we got briefs from a coalition of Republican-led states, as well as the Trump administration uh, trying to take down Obamacare again. And so this will be a case that we'll be watching heading into next term. And the court has already announced that it's going to be hearing those arguments that it put off this term in October. So it seems like right. we might not get to that one until right near the election. Yeah, November would be the earliest that we would hear this argued, right? Right, and certainly no decision by election time. All right, well, that'll be one to uh, keep watching into next term, which is already going to be a big one, even though this term still isn't done yet. All right, let's wrap that up. Well, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at newsbloomberglaw.com. Taxes and accounting are complicated, but finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. I'm Siri Belusu, and I'm Amanda Icone. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from what Congress is working on, to legal rulings, to the global digital tax debate. Download and subscribe to Talking Tax wherever you get your podcasts.